Mal, do you know what coffee I've been enjoying a lot lately? No, which one? I have been enjoying free lunch coffees, medium dark roast blend. Ooh, me too. You know what I love most about their coffee, besides the rich flavor, is their mission to end hunger for underprivileged children. Each purchase from their store provides 10 meals to children in South Africa. If you want to enjoy this gourmet coffee that is fair trade and certified organic that also fights to end child hunger, go to their website, freelunchcoffee.com. And when you check out, use promo code THOSEOTHERGIRLS10. And let's end world hunger by doing what we do best, starting each morning with a cup of coffee. Can't relate to cancel culture, hookup culture, or victim culture? (laughs) Well, neither could we. We created this platform for those other girls. Girls like us who want to give a different perspective from a Christian and conservative worldview. We talk about life, work, relationships, and everything in between. Let's be those other girls that don't just talk about culture, but change culture and bring back traditional values. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Those Are the Girls with Mallory and Friends. I'm Mallory. I'm Victoria. And we are changing culture and bringing back traditional values. Well, we have a great guest on today. His name is Brandon Pierce. He was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, has just recently moved to Greensboro, North Carolina from Charlotte, like this month. He graduated (laughs) from North Mac High School in Charlotte. Uh, He earned his bachelor's degree in political science and government from UNC Charlotte. His career experience includes working as a culture engaged or work. Yeah. Working as a culture engagement and stewardship specialist with Coca-Cola bottling company. He has recently ran for Charlotte city council district four in 2019. Brandon is married to his wife, Bethany, and they have three beautiful kids. And I believe they're all under the age of five. Is that right? Correct. Oh, God bless. How do you quarantine? Like, how has this last year with three kids under five at home been for you? Well, so we have, I'll start off with the youngest. We have what we call a pandemic baby. Uh, My (laughs) son was born in January of 2020. Um, He got his six months, his six weeks shot. And like two weeks later, everybody was on lockdown. So he doesn't know what people are because, you know, he's a <laughs> pandemic baby. Uh, my oldest uh, is a big hugger. Her name is Bailey J. Uh, she's a huge hugger. And so we've had to teach her, you know, you can't just go up to strangers and hug them during this, you know, pandemic. So she says, I can't hug because of coronavirus. We're like, yes. And then my middle child, he's just, he's just my middle child. He's great. So the, it's been oldest, a fun time. One, the oldest one is how old? She is, she'll be five in August. Okay, so you guys pretty much had three kids, like, back to back to back. Love that. Pretty much. I love that. Oh, wow. Um, going to be good friends. So <laughs> I've read, <laughs> so I've read articles where, like, kids born during, like, the pandemic, like, and they're starting to see, like, because one, you're starting to kind of, like, recognize faces, like, they don't know what it's like going out without mask on. Right. Correct. Uh, Honestly, you know, just going off that point, I would say that 2020 might honestly be a defining year, like for our children. So Mm -hmm. even like the older, like even like my five-year-old or my four-year-old, who's about to be five, right? Like growing up, like because 2020 just changed so many things, I wouldn't be surprised if she don't even know what going into a building is to work when she's older. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, during flu season, it's just a common thing to run around with your mask on, no questions asked. Like those kind of things, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of gets embedded into the culture. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So you guys just recently moved to Greensboro. What has brought you guys up here? Well, so, you know, Charlotte will always be at home. Uh, (laughs) I joke with people all the time. I say, you know, uh, I moved to Charlotte as soon as my parents would let me. Uh, We moved when we were on our sixth. So we moved from New Orleans when I was six. And the first place we landed was Greensboro, actually. Um, oh. And then when I was like uh, eight years old, we moved. Yeah, I actually did first grade at Sumner Elementary School. I was in first grade. 
And so when I was seven or eight, we moved to Charlotte and been in Charlotte ever since. I stayed in Charlotte for probably 20 years myself, like just being in Charlotte. Uh, but during the pandemic and, uh, you know, I also had a, a pretty close death in the family uh, and my job situation kind of changed due to the virus. Uh, my wife and I just kind of did a long examination and we felt like family was going to be important, like just going forward 2021. Mm-hmm. And so we made mm-hmm. the ultimate call to just kind of relocate. My wife's family is in Winston-Salem. My family is in Greensboro. It just kind of makes sense. Wait, where did she go to high school? Because I grew up in Winston. Uh, so I believe she was homeschooled, but she did go to, don't quote me on this, maybe <laughs> East Forsyth? Does that okay. sound familiar? So I, yeah, so I graduated from Reagan High School. Ah, small okay. world. Yeah, it's so crazy. When we bring Beth into the water meetings, I'll tell her. Sorry. Okay. You know, I was just going to say, it's so crazy. It's such a small world because we've had other people on that live in Charlotte, but grew up in Greensboro and knew Victoria and I knew them. So that's how I got them on. And it's just so crazy. Like Charlotte, I've honestly, I think the very first time I went to Greensboro was a couple of or months ago, uh, mm-hmm. helping with the campaign. So I didn't realize like the connection. I feel like I have to start visiting Greensboro more yeah. often. So Brandon, just so you know, Absolutely. so we met through, she came up when the wires did their national deployment up here for Sebastian and John Hardister. And okay. so that's how we yeah. got connected was through that. Which is, it's just okay. it's all a small world. It is such a small world. That's why you have to side note, you have to respect everybody you meet because everybody knows everybody and they're going to tell people if you're rude. Just a side note. Those <laughs> so Brandon, are your parents up here? How- yeah. So are your parents up here? Yeah, so my parents are in the city of Greensboro. In fact, that's the church um right off of um uh right off of M Street maybe. Okay. Alamance Church Road, Elm Street, yes. somewhere in that area. Yes, something. Uh, Mount Zion. Uh, so yeah, so my dad, my my dad and my mother have brought back to Greensboro, and so they've been there. Okay, yeah, so they've been in Greensboro for a while. Um, what what has being a father taught you? I will say, you know, just from my daughter, like with her being born, my first daughter. It just taught me a whole new level of love and understanding that I didn't Aww. know. Having to be responsible for somebody that small and somebody to look up to you. And I mean, even when she gets in trouble, right? It's so, I love daddy. I love daddy. <laughs> uh, being a father of three has taught me so much about organization skills and patience and just how to manage chaos. And I think really, <laughs> ultimately, being a father uh, three has really taught me like how to be a better husband. I hope mm. how to help my wife Bethany, who is like really she has the hardest job taking care of these kids, right? Day day to day, just really helping to come alongside her and make sure her needs are met. So that kind of goes into my next question. So, so Sebastian and I have been married for a year. We plan on having kids in four years because we said five years after marriage, we'll start having kids. What marriage advice, what marriage advice do you have for us? Okay. Yeah. Then I have a comment. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, good plan. And my wife and I, we wanted to wait. We just, yeah. Nobody who says they wait. <laughs> oh my goodness. No one who says they wait, wait. Okay, so here's how long yeah. after you guys were married did we you have it. Bailey? Oh, well, we remember this. So we got married in September, right? On uh-huh. Thanksgiving Day, my wife was like, something's not right, you know? Oh my God. And she went and got a <laughs> test on Thanksgiving Day. So Thanksgiving Day is when we found out. <laughs> and I think at the time, she was like three or four weeks or something. So it would have probably been like honeymoon time or right after honeymoon, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Victoria, oh, no. four years. Okay. We'll see. Uh, well, we've made it over a year so far. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Right. <laughs> but so what marriage advice do you have yeah. for us? Kind of, I guess we're right now we're, I mean, we're focusing on us as a couple, but then we do want kids and just kind of planning for kids. And well, I guess, Yeah. Yeah, I will say, you know, this is popular book. Um, I forgot the name of it. Um, it's called Love and Respect, I believe. Okay. Um, it was a book that my wife and I read. Uh, our mentor gave us advice. Um, but, you know, regardless of religious affiliation and stuff, 
we can all agree, I hope that uh, Paul in the Bible was a very wise man. Mm -hmm. um, but he wrote a scripture in the Bible that said, um, uh, husbands um, love your wife and wives respect your husbands. That was the, pretty much the, the, the gist of the scripture. And that's important because what he's trying to say is that in terms of communication, women need love, men need respect. And those two things are not mutually mm. exclusive. And a lot of times females are going into a conversation, wives are going into a conversation with husbands, trying to give love, give love, give love, hoping they give love back. And men are going in, giving the utmost respect, 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 hoping they get respect back. When really, in actuality, husbands need respect. Respect makes them feel love. And females, the wives need love. Love makes them feel respected. Ooh. That's the advice I would I've give. Never Just kind of being a... Been a I've never looked at that scripture like that. I always kind of thought it was like, ugh, so I gotta be submissive to my husband. No, no, no. But it's kind of like, because <laughs> we have a very good relationship where we're like 50 50, I would say. Um, but I never like looked at that scripture like that. It's kind of like love and respect. It's not that. I need to just like bow down to my husband, but I need, that's his, like how men communicate. That's how women communicate. I've never looked at it like that. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. like the idea behind understanding um, your spouse's love language mm -hmm. about how, for example, yeah. like one of my love languages is words. So you, um, I don't know, you doing things for me is nice, but honestly, words mean more for me. But if I'm dating someone, they have to give me the words as opposed to doing things. You can't do your own love language to someone else. So I like that. I like that a lot. Mel, you said you had a comment. And so Mel, going off of that, my, my wife, oh. is, uh, she's really big on uh, words of affirmation. That's hers, right? Mm, yeah. So, you know, and mine is action. I'm a big action guy. <laughs> and, and, and we've also done apology. Like, uh, it's like apology languages and oh. so you know I'm really big on don't tell me you're sorry show me you're sorry she's mm -hmm. really big on you need to say it so communication is so key just doing all those little tests and things and not just doing them to do them when you're married but doing them to really learn your spouse is just so key yeah and learning yourself yeah Mal so the guy who wrote the five love languages also wrote the five it's like five apologies or five love languages of apologies Oh, something like okay. he wrote a second book to kind of go with the first it's like okay this is how i like how i want you to apologize to me okay. so it's kind of similar to the same concept like okay, this is how i want you to show you love me this is how i want you to apologize to me okay cool i i had never heard of the apology one that's cool i like that i like that a lot because i mean we all respond to things differently and i think you know i'm not married um but i would assume part of being married specifically if you're a Christian is growing and learning the other person. Cause you have to do a lot of sacrificing. Um, and a lot of times we focus on like what is best for us when we're just living single. Yeah. That, uh, what's the scripture? Uh, what's that saying? Not a scripture, but, uh, do unto others as you want them to yourself. And, yeah. and marriage is really do unto others as they would like to be done. You know, it's not enough to do to your wife what you want. It's really, well, how do I serve my wife or how do I serve my husband is really what it's about. Whoa, love this. Great advice. All right. Do you want me to do the next question or do you want to do it? You can. Okay. Um. So now we're going to transition. Ooh. Now we're going to transition Um. to more, I guess, politically. Yeah, your city um, council race. Yeah. <laughs> So why did you decide to run? What made you want to go out in Charlotte in such a blue jungle, as some say, to run? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of two things. So one, I've always had a heart for public service. Uh, my father kind of instilled that at a young age, however you serve, right? Uh, so whether that's going out to the soup kitchens or washing people's cars for free or getting involved politically or in the community, Black political caucus, caucus, whatever, but really serving. So I've always had that tug to do that. Uh, what prompted me to run the specific year I did uh, was because um, I felt like there was a lot of conversations specifically around Republicans and how we were represented. And I just wanted to kind of just go out, try to serve my community. No one was a hard race, really kind of show 
kind of a holistic um, kind of Republican candidate, if you will. Uh, I felt like um, sometimes as Republicans, we get this really bad, unfair media rap um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that just kind of follows us as a stigma, mm-hmm. if you will. And I wanted to kind of show them something different. Uh, unfortunately, just during my race, it wasn't really easy to do that just because uh, Charlotte's a Charlotte's a very big local city uh, and the politics kind of follow national trends. So, you know, it's great you might have a plan for sidewalks, but uh, hey, Trump said this last week. Can we talk about this and said, it's like, wait, wait, I have a brilliant plan about infrastructure, but Charlotte was really kind of caught up in the kind of national politics, ICE, immigration, uh, you know, uh, Trump this, Trump that, uh, LGBT, right? I mean, really big on international issues that do trickle down to a local level, but it was really less about actual pure municipal matters. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, I saw, and that's kind of the trend we're going in in Greensboro right now. It's there's a lot of people that are frustrated. Like we've had our highest homicide rate last year. Like I think that we was, had sixty-one yeah, plus. Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, we've they had like about you. Yeah, unfortunately, but, but uh, yeah. I mean, like our homicide rate's like sixty-one plus. We had a recent one where it was a drive-by shooting that killed someone um, in Greensboro, and a lot of people are frustrated with the city council. Our city council, it's all Democrats. Our mayor's Democrat, um, and there hasn't been a lot of focus on um, that. So what, like, kind of seeing what you guys saw in 2019 in Charlotte, like, what advice do you have for Greensboro and people wanting to run up here in Greensboro? You talking about specifically conservative-leaning candidates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely. Because, like, there's, yeah. I think we've only had one Republican. I think we have seven seats plus mayor, and only one Republican has come out saying they're running. Yeah. So I would say that the issue, you know, and – well, I got to be careful saying this. I know it can get pushed back, but I think in these elections now, I think the issue is no longer finding candidates, it's really finding supporters. And supporters, mm. is that's, that's talking donations, that's talking time, and that's really talking belief. See, mm-hmm. as Republicans, we've allowed this kind of uh, mindset to fester that we can't win municipal races unless you're in like the rural area. But if it's any type of urban area, like Greensboro has become an urban area, uh, you just can't win it. And so that belief hasn't really, um, it hasn't really um, crippled our candidates, it's crippled our supporters. And mm. you won't find candidates if you don't have supporters. That's, that's a good bigger point. than donations, that's bigger than volunteers. That's the belief that you can win a race. That's if you don't have point. that, you won't have candidates. Yeah, that's this a good point. Good. I, I looked up how many people voted in your race. It was 10,000 people. How many active voters were in that district? Uh, 78,000. Yeah, that's voters. ridiculous. And I think in Greensboro, the most we've had coming out for municipal election, maybe around 10%. Yeah. We got to yeah. do better. And, and, and so when you break down the numbers of my race, 78,000 uh, registered voters, right? 40,000 were Democrats right off that, but 25,000 were Republicans, and then the rest were kind of unaffiliated, you know, type of stuff. So, really, we had an aggressive strategy, but really, all it took was getting 7,000 Republicans to come out 7,000 out of 28,000, right? And mm-hmm. that's not even going for any of the moderates uh, or the Democrats who, you know, I did have the capacity to flip votes. Um, but again, it's the mindset and belief. That and that's even if you notice, especially in Charlotte, municipal areas that were Republican are also starting to become lost. It's a mindset that all urban areas are Democrat, and so with that mindset, it's just really hard. It's really hard to combat it. I feel like that's what's happening in Valentine. Um, And Valentine is, I feel like, at least growing up, it was pretty red. Now, all, everybody, I'm pretty sure everybody that represents us is blue. I mean, except for Dan Bishop, but like our, like the, yeah. And you would think, and I do think it has to do with the supporters because I remember I said something to somebody and I was like, oh, I know in Valentine we have Republicans. Like I know that within my heart. I know that I've talked to people. I grew up here. I know we do, but you know, oh, but it's in Charlotte. We live in Charlotte. Charlotte only has, I think, uh, like 
8,000 registered Republicans, or not 8,000, 8%, no, I'm sorry, 20-something percent Republicans um, that we have, oh, there's not any in that or whatever, but I do think it's a supporter mindset. I don't think it's the candidates. This is good. This is really good information. Yeah. That's a good point, because up here, like, we are third. So, like, it's Democrats, Independents, and than Republicans. I, I don't know if independents really? and Democrats have flipped at all, but Republicans are third up in Guilford County. And I do agree with that mindset. It's kind of... What'd you say, Brandon? I'm sorry. I said Charlotte's the same way. Yeah. yeah. And it's really... I do think it is the mindset because it's kind of like, all right, well, there's no way we're going to do this, so we're not even going to give it a try. Can we delve into those numbers just a little deeper? Yeah, so go for you, it. You, so when you look at the actual register registration status, and you're right, unaffiliates are are have or independents have a large registration than Republicans in a lot of these urban areas. But here's the kicker: a lot of Republicans aren't even registered Republicans anymore because they want to have voting power. And so in places where the primaries are closed, you know, well, they have to register as an affiliate or whatever. So a lot of them don't see a real advantage that as registering as a Republican. What's the advantage? And so it'll be our job as a local party to bring that advantage. And you mentioned candidates. Yeah, I think you, you all brought me on to speak about candidates. I know we'll get there. But when you talk about candidates, right now, I don't think there's really much we can do in terms of candidates. But what we could be doing is building up a bench that will have enough equity inside the community. So when they finally run, they're already a, a, a good candidate, if you will. And I think right now, Republicans, then we have to go back into rebuild time. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the Democrats did. You know, 30 years ago, they were in rebuild mode. If you look at all these urban areas, that they mm-hmm. came rebuilt with a really good strategy, and they completely wiped Republicans off the board. I think Republicans have to go back into rebuild mode and really get a good strategy down pat. What was that rebuild strategy they did back 30 years ago? Do you know? So the first thing that they did, so they played, they they did three things really. So the first thing that they did was they decided to tell their own story. Republicans are starting to kind of get that. Mm. Organizations like American for Prosperity and stuff are starting to get that. You need to tell the story. And so if you notice, Democrats dominate the headlines because Absolutely. they uh, a, a good mentor of mine, Dr. Leon Threat, uh, we were speaking together and he said this that really stuck with me. He said, Democrats tell the lie better than Republicans can ever tell the truth. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so what, what that kind of, you know, what he's saying is, well, yeah. no, keep going. So what he was saying, what he was kind of throwing at is that uh, basically, you know, the Democrats, they went ahead and they built their own narrative. Then while they was building their own narrative, they built up a bench of candidates. I mean, tremendous candidates. And once you have one or two strong candidates, you can ride them for the rest of the victories, if you will. And I think the third thing that Republicans just completely forgot about, we're focused on it now, but it's part of the problem. Uh, But it was the judges, right? While we were trying to get back seats, they were focused on judges. Mm -hmm. And the problem that I see that as Republicans we're having, we don't build our own framework. We follow up after the Democrats. Oh, they're leading us in this. We need to catch up and beat them in this. Meanwhile, they're already focused on what's next. So mm-hmm. I would say that what we need to be doing as Republicans now is saying, what are Democrats focused on now? Because we don't want to be like, so they were focused on judges. They're not focused on judges anymore. It's not enough for us to try to just focus on judges and catch up. We need to be thinking about what's next. In my eyes, those things that are next uh, could be completely, you know, uh, wiping out um, like all um, kind of, Ballantyne is a great example, right? I think mm-hmm. that Democrats are 100% focus on Ballantyne. Not because they'll ever win a Ballantyne seat, but because they could use their supporters and Ballantyne to help wipe out the rest of the district. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Wow, that's really good information. Yeah, that's really interesting because we're also seeing that when it comes to like issue basis too. We're always, I feel like as Republicans we're always kind of behind on when it comes to like an issue, like um, healthcare policy. We still don't have healthcare policy. The Democrats have been talking about healthcare policy for 10 years now. We still don't have one. We still don't have a plan. Um, That's interesting. What do you think is the next big issue? So like, I mean, we have healthcare, we've had climate change. What can Republicans do to get in front of an issue? Mm. Well, I think what if if 
this is just Brandon, you know, I don't have any, you know, uh, fancy certificates, degrees and stuff, but I think I'm pretty good when it comes to this. I think the next big thing is recession. We need to start planning for what's going to happen when the next recession is. We've been in a boom for so long and it's so great, but just when you, you know, economic uh, um, economists will tell you, right, that, you know, this is a boom bust economy, right? Yeah. We have lots mm -hmm. of booms, we have lots of busts. And so what's next right now is obviously a bust. So how do we start? North Carolina did a great job with the rainy day fund, right? Mm -hmm. But how do we start going ahead, getting, being the leader of like recession type of conversations? Rebuilding. So you know the housing market will probably get destroyed, right? So home, rebuilding, correct. So homeowners are going to be impacted, right? Uh, you know, um, that, 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 what are we going to, what's going to be our policy when it comes to bailing out all of these large corporations, right? We need to be thinking about that. What about the struggling middle-class families who are now being placed into lower class? Those are the things that we need to be thinking of now. And rainy day fund is a great example of being forward thinking. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, so I have a question. It's not on the list. I just thought of this. Um, so I think another problem that we have as Republicans is social issues. I'm personally a Christian and I'm a conservative. So that's how I feel about social issues. And, you know, I'll just use like abortion, for example. I personally believe in no abortions with no exceptions. How do we get messages like that that come off? kind? Like I can admit that comes off very cold. Like if I say no abortions, no exceptions, and then walk away from a conversation, everybody's like, oh my God, this girl's evil. But if I can like articulate my thought process why I believe x y and z it's better but how do we um kind of fix that because I feel the democrats they are very good at messaging like for the abortion issue oh we love women and we don't want to hurt people and then that's that like there's so many things um there's so many issues like that even with uh for example getting rid of uh welfare things like that people are hurting we must help them and then they're done whereas we are the typical conservative response would be we want to help people get jobs, learn skills. So then they won't have to rely on the government. It takes a long time to say all that. How do we fix that? Yeah. So there's a great book uh, by the name of the conservatives uh, uh, handbook, I believe. Was this the book you said that's like your favorite book on ballot? Yeah. Favorite book of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ever. And so what I believe is by Doug Pollock, I believe. If it's not by Doug Pollock, it's Arthur Brooks, one or the other. But what what the author was trying to get us to understand is like he wrote this book almost 10 years ago, but it's how do conservatives take the compassionate high ground? And the reason why we should be doing that is because our policies are more compassionate than Democratic uh, mm. uh, policies. However, Democrats know that their policies are compassionate. So to make up for it, they tell you how compassionate they are. Mm -hmm. Republicans, on the other hand, have a very poor job. Uh, I give a real life example. First, I address your example that you gave, Mal, which was abortion. And then I give a real example that kind of struck hard with me. So compassionate politics, right? So you talk about abortion, right? And, you know, and again, you know, um, these issues will vary, but if your stance on abortion is like life matters, right? And mm -hmm. Democrats are going to tell you all about women's choice, all of that kind of stuff. Well, you can easily, instead of playing the defense, you can play the offense and say, no, life matters more. Not only that, but you can also really try to get to understand that individual issue because the Democrats are quick to tell us that women's choice matter. But if you're terminating the life of a girl, what's her choice? Mm -hmm. I agree. Women's choice matter. Let's make it matter for real. It's really kind of taking the offense in a compassionate way and saying, I care too much about that life to let you talk over me with unfactual claims. One that struck hard with me was doing the kind of the social justice uh, riots and all that stuff that was happening um, during the summer. Right. And and the police shootings and stuff. Right. I think as Republicans. Right. What we do is we. We just got to we just got to watch what we do, right? So it seems like with the minority community, right, we're always at odds in some way, and we don't even notice that that's what we're doing, right? So if 
we might have, we might really want to back the blue. That might be a thing that we believe that we know we love veterans, we love officers, you know, we're nationalists, we love our country. I mean, we just so much pride and stuff. When people are standing up for the shield, we really might want to show that support. But a lot of times, whenever the actual black community hears about it, it's always at the expense of their issues. It's never, it's never, it's never individually. The only time we tell them how much we care about the blue is when we're telling them about the difference of a BLM movement, right? A Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. And so it just kind of sticks with them like, wait, what? So like when we talk about um, um, the, the, the people who lost their lives in the beginning of the year, right? Um, like a lot of times, like um, uh, like Ahmaud Arbery was a great example, right? Um, we didn't hear anything, right? Republicans were silent, right? Well, as soon as it came out that, you know, it might have broke into something or whatever, all we heard from were Republicans. What you'll find out, what you hear the Black community say a lot is, hey, let's talk about, let's condemn what actually happened, right? This isn't even an officer. This is just some guy on the street. Let's just condemn that. And then let's also condemn whatever Ahmad did. Same thing with George Floyd, right? Hey, okay, cool. Got it. The shooting was terrible. Or, excuse me, not the shooting. The suffocating of the neck was terrible, Right. Hey, no arguments there. That doesn't speak for all law officers, but those individual law officers, man, that's terrible, right? We're not gonna give them the whole police force. That's terrible. Now you know, you know that a riot is gonna come next, right? That's typically what happens. Well, why is it that when you look at all of our officials' timelines, right, they were silent about the neck, the foot on the neck, but the very next day they were all loud about the actual. Little, uh, about the actual looting and rioting. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want Republicans to ever lose their principles, but I do think that what's next for us, if we're ever going to win any type of community, is being able to come alongside. How can we be more compassionate? It's not about being quiet. It's about knowing when to speak and knowing when not to speak. Yeah. We don't have to compromise any type of principles. The only time we speak shouldn't be to condemn something, right? Yeah. We should I, be able I to say, hey, that was bad, that was bad. Yeah, that's something I actually was talking to Sebastian about that today, how not that in particular, but we do need to talk more um, because I manage the social media account for the Guilford GOP and we do need to talk more about the issues because we don't talk about like Second Amendment rights, abortion rights, um, backing the blue. We don't talk about those issues until it comes up in the media. So how can someone like how can a Republican or a member of society know what our beliefs are if we only talk about it when we have to? Yeah, when we're like, on the defense. Yeah, like right. like you you truly don't care. I don't. It's not you truly don't care, but like it it looks like you truly don't care about something because you only bring it up when you have to. You're not bringing it up because like Matt. Okay, for example, Mallory is perfect example. You know she cares about pro-life because she talks about pro-life even when no one else talked about pro-life absolutely we as a party need to talk about our beliefs even if no one else is talking about our beliefs victoria and brandon you guys have inspired me so much this conversation i agree with everything you just said we have got to stop being on the defense we should be talking and like you said um I, i help manage the cmrw account and like Sometimes I don't even know what to post. I just post something random. We got to be more strategic with that. And to um, piggyback off of what you said, Brandon, about how it seems like we're only talking when people say stuff. I think also, too, what I've been working on and what I try to remember is that um, people in real life and people on social media sometimes are completely different in the sense of like the Republicans that... Mm -hmm. And no judgment to anybody listening at all. I'm just, this is from my experience. Nobody listening, I'm not talking about you specifically. <laughs> but I've noticed that the Republicans that come to the meetings, the Republicans who come to conferences, the Republicans who are running for office are different than the Republicans that are typing on social media. And we have to remember that real life and social media are two separate things. And I think we get, and I think Democrats, specifically liberals, like I have some liberal friends that I'll say something like if there's like a hot topic everybody's talking about, I'll say a response and like, well, all my other Republican friends online don't believe that. And and I'm like, well, the conversations I'm having in the group chats with my Republican friends I've met at conferences that are running for stuff, we're saying this. And I think we have to, and that also makes me take into account, I need to make sure that I am posting this 
alternative idea that might not be as popular. And I know I sometimes am like, you know, I don't change my principles, but like, I do know sometimes I hesitate on stuff because I'm like, well, this isn't a mainstream Republican idea. So I don't know if I want to necessarily say that, but we got to stop that because, you know, what liberals are seeing are just these mainstream big ideas that Republican on social media that are saying the same Republicans that will complain and whine, but, you know, won't do anything about it. So we really have to start being on the offense. This is such a good conversation, man. And kind of going off like non-mainstream Republican topics, Brandon, in your city council race, you talked about sustainability. Can you like, yes. like, can you elaborate on that? Like Great. what, like Republicans don't talk about sustainability. I know we're just now this year, Sebastian talked about it in his campaign, but it just now started like this, this year, last year. What made you decide that sustainability is going to be one of your top platforms? Because I think that was like your number one point on your platform that i read that is so great okay go ahead. so one of my things is, and again it depends on what type of republican you are right are you a republican that gets caught up in whatever the media tells you to or are you a republican that holds by your values i believe in small government i believe that there's only certain things the government should be doing one of those things is sustainability I don't think sustainability should be in the hands of large corporations because large corporations are in the business of capitalism. I love capitalism. I'm not knocking that. What I am saying is that sustainability should not be in the hands solely of large corporations. That should be a government thing. On the flip side, some of the things that the government are currently doing, I won't say any names, they shouldn't be doing. So yeah. I don't want to talk about sustainability because people are Republicans always get this bad rep, like, oh, they don't care, whatever. The sustainability is more than just, you know, uh, focusing on, on the climate and recycling and stuff. Sustainability is how do you make sure that this neighborhood is better than how you left it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my whole focus on sustainability, I, I did a complete kind of package on it, but it was really kind of um, really public-private partnerships inside of sustainability. So, you know, investing, doubling down on, uh, from a city standpoint, this is my actual individual race, but doubling down on like, you know, uh, kickbacks and incentives uh, for those who choose to go sustainable. A lot of times we do that at the corporate level, but we don't always do that at the individual mm. family level. Uh, Duke Energy oh. uh, is an actual good example, right? Like they'll give you credits for going, you know, green. Um, Here's another example in terms of sustainability, right? It's you have a large budget, right? In your municipal, that's probably the biggest thing that that municipals do, right? Is operate a budget, right? Taking out property taxes and then using that to purchase things or do things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you put sustainability at the forefront, you can even you can even do things like um, having have recyclable hubs, right? That's really innovative, but some new cities are doing it. That's where you go to this hub. So it's more than just like a recycling dump, right? It's, uh, yeah, you got dinner, you got a uh, shrimp there. So people are encouraged to go there and they get to see the actual process. So you could be eating lunch, right? And bring your recyclables with you, right? Bring it all with you, right? You could so be cool. eating lunch, bring it all with you, watch it all be through. Exactly. It's making it cool, making it worth doing, right? Yeah. It's really just investing. This is so good because I think when we are thinking politics, when we are thinking policy, we're thinking about, will the president allow me to do X, Y, and Z? We're not thinking about the very small things that can happen in our neighborhood. That is such a cool idea that would have never crossed my mind. I I mean, we, when this affects us today, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like that is something that you can affect today. Um, whether it was actually Hillary Clinton at the inauguration does not affect you today. That has nothing to do with what's going on today. I think we get so caught up in all of that stuff that we forget about what is effective and how we can actually work in our everyday lives and to help our families. Because at the end of the day, especially like with sustainability, it's all about the next generation. We are doing X, Y, and Z because we care about people tomorrow, not just today. This is great. Yeah, and that... Yeah. In terms of the sorry. sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say, like, I I agree with you because I think the Democrats have it wrong when it comes to sustainability, and I think this is what the Republican platform should be. It's like, look, we want to approach sustainability as providing incentives to businesses to do stuff, not providing them um, penalties 
for doing what they're already doing. Like that's where I feel like Biden's gone wrong. He provides penalties for the corporations for not being greener. Well, that's just going to make them leave. If you provide them incentives, they'll a want to do it and we'll stay in the country and jobs will stay. That's how you have an effective sustainability, green economy, green new deal. That's how you have an effective green new deal by providing incentives, not penalizing them for doing something wrong. Yeah. And that is, I mean, right. that's... go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you can even, you can even get the organ that the companies to do more too. Right. Uh, so companies are all about how do we, how do we not only how do we make income, but how do we, you know, become an asset, a marketable item. So one of the things Charlotte was doing, this was on my sustainability plan, but they built, they put, it was 70 million and then it became 140 million. That is a lot of money. $140 million towards this cross city, cross county walk space, right? So it's gonna be a greenway where people can walk and stuff. Great idea, $140 million. I was highly disappointed in my city and in my county for that. That's a great example to do a public private partnership for something sustainable like that. Hey, Coca-Cola. Hey, Novant Health. Hey, um, Time Warner or Spectrum. Uh, hey, Bank of America. Listen, we want you all to donate portions of this crosswalk. Each of y'all going to donate a mile. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, let's say 10 million a mile or something like that. I don't know. I'm making up a fake number there. But what that's going to tell you to is we're going to have benches. We're going to have um, little trash cans right in these actual walks and we need you to donate that but don't worry we'll be able to put your brand branded public space not advertisement but branded saying hey uh coca-cola donated this bench come on a company would jump on that they're recycle already spending your, billions on super bowl ads why wouldn't they jump on that? recycle oh. your coca-cola cans here yeah man <laughs> why didn't you then uh we needed you <laughs> So to answer your question, the frustrating thing was I couldn't talk like that on my campaign. My campaign was all about, hey, in the media, they said Trump did this today. Hey, do you have a response? Well, that's not a part of our race. Uh, yeah. So you can't really talk policies a lot of times. All about national news, you know. I said Trump, but if I ran Donald Obama's year, I'm sure it would have all been about him. Like, it's just... A lot of these cities uh, are just focused on the national headlines, but that's not necessarily their fault. If all your parents do, when you walk in, all they do, if all they have up is Fox or CNN, that's all that they care about. They don't mm -hmm. know to care about anything other than that. Yeah, Channel 9, Eyewitness News. Um, okay, <laughs> so, there you go. Um, my parents watch that from like 5 to 6. Or I'll say like 5.30-ish to 6.30. And then World News comes on at 6.30. Um, so we probably should wrap up soon. But my question to end this really quick is like, how do we get people to focus? I mean, you said it's the news, but like we have to get away from, I don't want to say caring about the president, um, but we have to get away from like Trump in the sense of like, everything can't be based on like, like you said, like I, and you're, you said Obama, but I honestly feel like it's just because of Trump. I'm sure maybe they would have cared about Obama, but I really do think, and even with Biden, I think everybody that's going to run this Republican from now on needs to have some sort of backing from Trump. Um, even in, like you said, like city council, like municipal, um, positions, how do we get away from that? Not saying to get away from Trump, but how do we, how do we a, focus on local issues? Right. Yeah. You not you national issues. Yeah, yeah, you get what I'm trying to say. See, it's important, like, before you can answer that, it's important to understand why Trump was so popular. It's the same reason why Obama was so popular. It's because people want something to believe in. Obama gave that to Democrats. Mm -hmm. He gave it to people who weren't even Democrats. He gave them something to believe in. Before Obama, you know, you had you had you had the Bushes and you had the Gores and stuff, and those are national level stuff. But those weren't the people, right? You had the cruisers of the world. People, you had the uh, Paul, Rand Paul, all of them, like people that somebody can rally around and believe in. Uh, what's the um, lady's name? AOC, right? Like that's mm -hmm. somebody people rally around. What's the guy uh, with the uh, eye patch? Uh, uh, Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw. People that personalities that people rally. Yeah. yeah, these are personalities that people rally behind. Trump is the biggest thing Republicans has ever had since Ronald Reagan. That's why he's such a big deal. That's why anytime you say something against him, 
you are criticized because he was something people believed in on the Republican side. And so you can't just erase that in one moment, in one setting. Right. Uh, but what you have to do is you have to give them other things to believe in. Right now, think people can't focus on local politics because they need a big name. They need something to believe in. What you need to, what we have to do as the local Republican Party is get them to believe in themselves. That that's the biggest mm. thing you can do. That's not a one-day process. That's not a we hang up off of this and we're ready to go. That's an intentional. Hey, we're breaking bread with these people. We're not we're not talking policies. We're just getting to know people, right? We're baking brownies, right? Uh, we're we're just stopping by. We're just saying hey, right? Somebody's telling you. Mal, this will take you having to, I'm using you as an example. This will take you, if you want to change somebody or you want somebody to listen to you as a Republican talk about your pro-life, this will take you having to listen to them talk about abortion five times before you can ever get in your, your, your pro-life thing. That's not saying you agree with them. You know your views are unshakable. All you're trying to do is understand what they're talking about. Yeah. So that's breaking bread with somebody two, three times, just understanding Oh, really? Oh, wow. You actually had one done. Wow. That's crazy. That's really getting to understand them and then later them understanding you. Y'all might not ever agree, but at the end of the day, you built so much equity in that relationship that should you ever run five years later, well, you can count on that person's support. Mm -hmm. It's not a one night type of operation. It's really been intentional and building a relationship. Some relationships won't work and that's okay. But some of them will. And I think people like to connect with people more than they connect with policies. When they don't know the policies, they just pick anybody. But if they can get to know a person, that trumps policies by far. Mm. Yeah, that's wow. good. Um, Mal, do you want to ask those two questions? Um, you sent me? Yes. This kind of flows in. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I kind of Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> asked the first one already. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. The second one already. Actually, no, I haven't. Sorry. Um. So the first question I want to ask you is, um, how can we, like, as regular Americans, better help people who are black, essentially, um, that have conservative values, but continue to vote for Democrats. Um, same with other minorities as well, but like specifically black people. It's like how do how do we reach them as a party? Yeah, because they agree. I, I mean, statistically, black people agree with conservative values. I have tons of friends that I've talked to that say they are conservative, but they just vote Democrat all the time. How do we do that? How do we help them? Yeah, so I would say you know it's understanding what the most what's the most thought about thing in terms thought about issue in terms of the black community as a whole. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the one out of 10 who are like crazy free in their thinking and they're so liberated, right? You know who I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? It could be you and I, for all I know, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the average person, let's use, you know, our parents, right? Who don't really care, right? You know that they're conservative, they have conservative values, but at the end of the day, they're not that into politics, right? is race, equity, race, right? Not saying that they believe that they're still slaves in there, but it's just race is an actual thing that's still important to the Black community. I say race. That's a problem with the Republican community because whenever we mention race, it gets kind of like, ah. Yeah, All I'm saying cringe. is that's a very important thing to the Black community. People cringe at the word race, but that's a very important issue to the Black community. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is say, hey, Again, that doesn't align with the values or anything. That's the most important thing. Okay, what can we do to be a part of that conversation? Here's what I found out since becoming a Republican. Our policies are so much better in terms of racial <laughs> uh, equity. Absolutely. So better, right? A, a, lot of, a lot of times, but in my race, I told people straight up, I, and, you know, I said this, and when I was at Republican meetings, I would get these weird looks. I said, you know, part of the reason why I'm running is because I do believe in systemic racism. What? No, no way. It's just not the way Democrats say it. See, system, systemic racism, systematic racism, it has everything to do with just the actual environment that a Black infant is raising from infancy to uh, adulthood, right? Well, our Republican policies help combat that. We don't believe that there should be a Planned Parenthood on every corner of the road, right? How many Black... You talk about, you know, you talk about 
equity, right? And you're saying, hey, we want, you know, we want more black entrepreneurs. We want more of this and that. This is what you hear from the black community. Well, how can that be the case if we're importing black babies left or right? Right. Let's go to school systems. Again, as Republicans, our policies are very great for this. We just don't talk about this. We run from the word race. We don't talk like this. But when we talk about systematic racism, right, our school systems are horrible. So it, it, it's kind of unfair. But in a white community, you might have a better chance to succeed in going to that school. Well, that's because of the public education. If we go to a school of choice and we buy vouchers, then that black mother could send her child across, you know, the city to this charter school that she's getting a voucher for, and the schools can be more fully, you know, um, integrated in a way that works for everyone. Again, our policies are better at this, but we don't talk like this. So how you ask, how do we do this? It's having conversations like this. Yeah, I guess my I'm kind of going off. Like, how do we talk about race as a Republican Party? I know you kind of hinted or talked yeah. a little bit there, but like how I'm, how is me as a white person talk about race in the Republican Party? Yeah. So, you know, first you start off with an introduction, right? So, you know, that's Brandon introducing Victoria to, you know, a group of five or six people, right? And that's a mixed group, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, it don't matter. And then that's Victoria nurturing her own individual relationships with people. Again, it won't happen overnight, but let's say mm-hmm. everybody that's at the county Republican meeting, right? Uh, I don't know how many that is. In Charlotte, that was the county was maybe 300 people at the county Republican meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So if everybody at the county Republican meeting, right, literally made a connection with five people, right? And it's a group of diverse people, Black, white, Hispanic, whatever, and you nurture those relationships, very soon what you'll find out is in the community, your rep will begin to expand. It's all about, you know... Um, how do I say this? In the Black community, uh, or at least the Black community that I've been a part of, right? Because I don't speak for all Black community, obviously. But the ones that I've been a part of, rep is a very important thing. Credentials is a very important thing. You can't just talk to me. You need to know me, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of times, it, a lot of times, you'll, you'll find a lot of tension from the Black community to the, uh, to the uh, majority community or to the white community is that they're trying to give feedback without ever knowing them. Oh, this so is good, Brandon. Yeah. It's really just, again, that's simple. That's, you know, in the grocery store, sharking up a conversation, saying, hey, XYZ, hey, I noticed you had, you know, XYZ. My name is XYZ. Uh, and you don't even have to tell them that you're with Republican this. You're just making a connection. That's it. It might be five years from now, you might meet that same person at a local race and you can then put your pitch, you know, there. It's having tents at places um, like, um, like uh, why, why would the Republican Party ever go to an LGBT parade? I don't know. I know that some young Republicans did that and they got critiqued. I'm not here to say all of that stuff. What I'm saying is, why not? Mm-hmm. Even if we disagree, why can't I know you? How can I dare tell you how bad you are if I don't even know you? Mm. it's having intentional conversations with not expecting anything in return so we're not going to win a race you know next week it's just not it's just impossible it's saying hey how do we make real relationships we get to know real people that's what the democrats did they played the long game we're trying to play the short game and we mm-hmm. can't we have yeah. to play the long game and the long game is sincere right like we don't just want to know the lgbt community so we can flip them and get votes we want to know them because maybe we've been talking wrong the whole time Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe we maybe there's some type of mutual understanding here. Maybe our policies do work for them. Again, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but do y'all all kind of get what I'm saying? It's yeah, really, yeah. How do we make intentional relationships nurture nurture them? I think it kind of goes back to what we're talking about, how Republicans are just kind of given up with minis- like mm-hmm. in urban areas. It's the same thing when it, we try to reach out to minority communities. We just kind of give up because we're like, oh, they're never going to listen to us. Why do we even bother? Yeah. And I mean, I like what you said, Brendan, about getting to know people and just the connection. Because I think about um, when certain people were posting about things in reference to George Floyd and a lot of people are like have you even been around a black person before and it's hard to for people to understand it's hard for people to respect and hear you out if they don't know you I guess is 
what I'm trying to say. And I think it's just, I think it's a black thing for sure, but I also think it's a human thing. Like there are sometimes people say, well, Never mind, I'm black, so I guess it could be a black thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was gonna say there's sometimes people say stuff to me and I'm like, have you have you been around someone pro life before? I'm checking out. Like you don't even what? So yeah, I mean that makes so much sense. Like we need I'm to be working on our relationships. Yeah. We need to work on our relationships. I'm just, you know, since we're talking about this, I'm just kind of concerned. I see a lot of, well, um, I'm done with you guys. You guys believe X, Y, from Republicans. You guys believe X, Y, and Z. I have no, uh, I don't want to unify with you at all. How do we balance the whole people who don't want to unify? Because it's not, and what I try to say is like, I'm not going to change my principles. I'm not going to change my morals, but I still have to live with these people. So we have to come to some, like, we we can't be in this war forever. How do we talk to people? How do we get people to want to do that? Yeah. You know, and again, it's about having discourse, right? Setting the yeah. table for discourse, right? Um, so the way our founding founders constructed this government was all about discourse. It was never meant to be this populist system, vote goes, everybody goes, right? Our whole entire, from our legislative branch to our executive branch to our judicial branch, which is really just checks and balances, but it was all about discourse. You have to have enough discourse to be able to persuade people to make um, amends. So while, you know, again, as a pro-life person, you might not ever believe abortions in any, any, any way, any sense, right? I don't know that for a fact. I'm saying that might be your standpoint. I don't. And then somebody who's, you know, pro-choice, right? Somebody who's pro-choice might believe anytime. Well, way we've set our government up is for discourse. So at the end of the day, both sides might not get what they want. It might be, a, you know, a time number on it, right? I think right now it's like 28 weeks or something crazy, right? As Republicans, we might be able to get that lower to six weeks, right? Or something along those lines. So again, there's still abortions and it might be amends to make special cases for like rape and that kind of stuff, right? Still amends are not exactly what you want, but I promise you it's so much better than the alternative. Yeah. And we have to be comfortable with that, being able to make enough amends to, to truly, even though it might, it's a, we're not, you're not changing your principle. If you're pro-life, you still don't believe that any of those should be done. But when you're judging yourself, you're saying, hey, man, I took this from, I'm making this number up. They were doing abortions at 30 weeks. I took this down to six weeks. That's 20, you know, 24 weeks of life, I say. That's the way you have to kind of judge it there. Not changing your principles, but making amends. <laughs> Right. And I think like once we also work on culture for just this issue, I'm just thinking like, and this could be applied to all issues. Once we work on culture, it could help change things. And then, you know, it could be it's going from 30 weeks to six weeks. And then maybe the next generation, it can go to four weeks because we've also worked on culture and the next generation, it could go to zero. like it. It is incremental. And I think you're right. The Democrats did the long game and we're trying so hard to do the short game. And it's just not how people work. And that's how the feminist movement worked. They went like one little lawsuit at a time and did about, I mean, they did multiple lawsuits during the 70s, 60s, 70s to get more equal rights for women, which led to Roe v. Wade. And and that's what they did. I think they did about 10 years when I was reading RBJ's um, biography. It was about RBG, sorry. <laughs> I'm reading Lady Bird Johnson's biography right now, so I'm an LBJ head. <laughs> but um, RBG's biography, and it was talking about like how like in a 10-year time span – like they did like a bunch of different lawsuits and like that's what they did. And it's like they they um I mean how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that's kind right. of the mentality we need to have. Um, I do have one question because I know what advice do you have for a Republican like a local county Republican party that wants to get more involved in my like minority communities? Do you go in as a Republican party or do you go in as just a citizen? that cares and wants to improve the area? The citizen part is going to get you a lot further than the Republican part, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, want to, I want to back up for a second. There was a time where Republicans were able to kind of come. I want you all to think about the Bush years. Now, we were all young on that time, right? We, we were, were all <laughs> You can still kind of remember it. <laughs> right, we weren't voting, none of us, but we were young. The Bush years, you actually saw that a Republican could argue, believe, 
walk into a black community with the Republican name, they might still get a, fun, a few funny looks, but they could kind of get somewhere. It wasn't that, you know, Republicans in the black community, the minority community uh, was, you know, completely at odds up until Obama's years. Now, what, what you saw in Obama is I'm, I'm a big guy. I, I believe that everything is understood better in context. So just given the context behind it, um, and a lot of people don't process it this way, but what you saw in politics was for the very first time, the black community had a black person running for some major office that he actually had a chance at, right? Republicans miss, because as the Republicans, we don't always see race, right? When, mm-hmm. In terms of things, and Democrats play that high heavily. So when it was Bill Clinton, going up against something, right? You're going to splatter his name all across the thing. You're going to make rude jokes. You're going to put memes up. You're going to, yeah, you turn on boxes, a picture of him with a jumpsuit on, like lock him up, right? You can go as hard as you want, right? If, if you're Fox, if you're Republican, if you're conservative, you go as hard as you want. Well, when Republicans use that same method against Obama, it distanced them from the Black community. Because oh the Black community couldn't distance the fact that he's in Oh my so, gosh, so you need to have a class. Okay, keep going. <laughs> wow. So, so, so all the equity that Republicans have built up over the last two decades all went away. It came tumbling down. Speaking from, you know, uh, like speaking from like different family members that I went before, you know, like my family will kind of watch CNN mostly, but kind of turn on Fox because you knew CNN was liberal. So you'll probably watch CNN 70% of the time and Fox 30%. Well, when they started plastering Obama, again, they didn't mean anything about it. It wasn't malicious. They just didn't read the room. Well, Black man is like, I'm not watching this. Uh-uh. I'm turning CNN on. So CNN became the primary source of news. Mm-hmm. So now you fast forward to the Trump years. And again, Trump... You know, in many ways, he looks like an adverse reaction to Obama. But I think there's a lot more to him than just what the media makes. But at that point, now all you got is CNN, right? So Fox killed their credibility. Conservative media killed their credibility. They didn't know it, but they did. Black community stopped looking at them. So all they got was CNN. Well, if all you watched the CNN, I would think Trump was the Antichrist. Would y'all not? If if all I did was tune into CNN... I would think that Trump was literally the Antichrist, like all jokes on the side. And so now you, you, huh? you said I said they said that? literally said uh, that. Yeah, there were think pieces about him being the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, so, so, now, so, so now as Republicans, right, now we're here, it's 2021, there's no more Obama, there's no more Trump. We have Joe Biden and Kamala, right? We have a fresh place to start over for once, yeah. right? Yeah. What we need to do now is what we did in the Bush years, right? Build actual equity, right? Like so, that's calming down. That's you know, that's going in as an as an individual making relationships. You can even go in Victoria as an actual party and say, "Hey, we're at the local Republican Party, right? We're just helping to partner with this COVID clinic, right? Or we're with the local Republican Party. We're just serving today. That's it. Hey, we're at the LGBT parade way. We're not. We're not saying that we're with that. We're just here to kind of answer questions. That's it. Honestly, we're not getting into any fights. Um, you know, hey, we're here at the local Black Caucus thing. We brought a table. Nobody came to our table. That's all right. But at least we were there, right? We brought yeah. that table. It's doing things like that. And ten years from now, it's like, oh yeah, that's a Republican party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they they talk right. But at that point, you allowed an opening for a candidate like. Mark Robinson, let's use him as an example because he won lieutenant governor, right? Love so that. he won. You can use him now to help to help um, bring up all of these other local candidates, right? Or if he used to run for a statewide race, now you can flip a few votes because Republicans have built enough actual equity inside the community to actually matter. So they're not, you know, they're not turning the black community is, is no longer voting ninety percent Democrat. They're voting seventy five percent or eighty percent. Well, that extra six or seven percent we just gained is enough to win every election. It's oh, almost enough God. to win every election. Brian, you have opened my <laughs> mind. I like that's so smart. Like we as Republicans are so scared to go into Democrat held strongholds, whether it's the black community, Hispanic community, LGBT. LGBT, yeah. Um, like why aren't we going to these places like yeah we don't agree with you but let's have a discussion love it before we round wrap up is it the conservative sorry is it the conservative heart the book you're referring to that's it 
by Arthur Brooks. Doug Foley? Arthur Brooks. Yes. Okay. I am yeah. buying it right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to buy it tonight. This has been, I mean, wow. You need to have a class. Yes. Um, I am so excited you're joining our YRs up here. Oh my gosh. Move back to Charlotte. Yes. Um, yes. Well, yes. I guess when this airs, it'll be the yesterday. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk I about just, that when we get off. <laughs> I can't, like, I'm just, this has been such a great conversation. This is in my top five favorite episodes. Oh, definitely. We, you just said so many things that, I mean, I sat here and took notes. Like you said so many things that I really think are applicable and we have to do. And everybody listening, I hope you guys took a few notes here and there too. If you really want to make some changes, because in this fight, there are two people. There are the people who just are going to be on social media all day, every day. And then there's people who actually are going to go out and show up at events. There's people who are actually going to go out and run for things who are actually going to go out and do something, try to make a change. And I just, I mean, this was such a good conversation. Like I, you said so many things that just never even crossed my mind. This was great. And I'll be honest, I Thank usually you. don't listen back to our episodes. This one I'm going to be listening back to. Yeah, no, for, I was stop. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking the exact same thing. Wow. Okay. Um, I guess any announcements? Oh, our conference, our virtual summit is coming up. Um, you guys make sure you register uh, RSVP on the website. You can only win the giveaways um, if you register on the website. Um, anything else? Any other announcements? I don't think so. Oh, we have a big interview coming up. Can we say who it's coming? Yeah, let's do it. We are interviewing Yolanda Robinson, Mark Robinson's wife this week, and that should be out next week. So excited. Yeah, you guys are going to love it. Um, our last two, I mean, Brandon's the interview and then, uh, Miss Robinson's the next one. And like these interviews have been so good. Oh my goodness. Like, my mind is just blown. All right, guys. We'll see you guys later. Yes. Have a good rest of your day, everybody. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Bailey. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Head over to our website, thoseothergirls.com, to read our blogs and receive exclusive content. And connect with us on Instagram, at thoseothergirlspodcast, and on Twitter, at TOG underscore podcast. Those Other Girls, changing culture and bringing back traditional values.